Hey, this is Brian Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And my guest today is founder and guitarist of the Kings, Zero. Yes. Thanks for coming in today, sir. Pleased to be with you, Brent. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. So uh, people know the Kings best for switching to Glide. Back in 80, produced by Bob Ezrin. Yes. So I've always wondered one thing about this song. Yep. Switching to Glide is the second half of This Beat Goes On. Yep. So whose idea was it to put those two together? Because in my mind, it was almost like a like he had two hit singles here. Yeah, I think that they both have a lot of hooks, and they're they're both really great, but they're both sort of not a complete thing on their own. Um, okay. I mean, Switching to Glide is two minutes and 30 seconds, and the other one's three minutes, so it adds up to 5.30, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So I guess we wrote them, and we had them you know, separated, um, and then... One day it just seemed to make sense to to try to put them together. And, and we did it before we met Bob. I mean, the demo that we did, we sort of scraped, scraped together enough money to try to make a, an album. And then we, we, we went into Nimbus in Yorkville where Bob had worked with Alice Cooper and Jack Richardson had done stuff in there. So we, we were trying to do an album on our own. Mm-hmm. And then as it turned out, Bob came in with, after he finished doing the Pink Floyd, The Wall album, he was back in Toronto after being in London, you know, working on that. And he came in to visit who was ever hanging around. And so, um, our manager got to meet him and then they just started talking about stuff and somehow got him to listen to the, the stuff that we were doing. And then what happened was that, you know, we approached him about mixing the tracks that we were working on. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, that when you're multi-tracking and that, when you start tearing it apart to mix it, it goes right down to the drums and build it up from there again. Yes. But what Bob discovered was, you know, here's a guy who's a professional, been doing it a long time, had a lot of hit records with, you know, Kiss and Peter Gabriel and, uh, you know, uh, The Wall with, with Pink Floyd and Alice Cooper and on and on, the list goes. Mm-hmm. Biggest guy in the world at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And so he came to us and said, you know, you know, you guys have the songs, but you're not, the recording you're doing is not very good. Okay. Like it's not up to, you know, so why don't you let me see if we can, if I can help you get a record deal and, and, and work with you. And so we said, all right. And then that's just like a Cinderella story. That's what happened. And he got us a deal in LA with a major US label. And then we came back, he came back and we started working on it. And, we went into rehearsal and that's when at one point in time he said, you know, there's something wrong about switching the glide and this beat goes on. They were, it was a segue at that time, but it was a completely different arrangement of it. Okay. The lyrics were different and the music in the first half especially was different. Hmm. And this beat goes on. The chords were in a different order. So he said, there's something not right about this. And that's sort of the, you know, the, the genius move that you want to get from a producer is, you know, he, he didn't say, here's how to fix it. You know, here's what, you know, he just said, there's something wrong, go fix it. And so that's what Dave did with, with the music of it. So, you know, that version of it is on Spotify as well. They're oh. both, both, they're both on there. If, if anybody wants to go listen, there's the, the original demo version. And if, if you're a musicalist, you know, and play guitar with it, you can see that the chord structure is different in the first song. Lyrics are completely different. Okay. So Dave came back one day, he's, you know, and he said, I got it. I got it. I figured it out. <laughs> and so he changed the chords and then I rewrote the lyrics. And then, and that's what you hear today is that it, and that's the one that's, that, that is, that everybody knows and loves. Uh, and then he, we, when we re-recorded it, he did such a great job with it that I had a guy, a DJ in Chicago say the first time I heard it, 
you know, I got hit ears. That's a hit. Oh, wow. You know, and then, of course, we had so much airplay in the U.S. Um, that, you know, it, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I do remember seeing you guys on Bandstand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a that was an incredible opportunity for us to uh, to promote the thing to, you know, we've grown up Dick Clark, American Bandstand. And yeah. then you get the, you know, you're going to be on there. It's like, oh, my, you know. <laughs> and how did that come about? Well, I guess the the record, Electra Records and their promotion company and our manager at the time, Randy Phillips, um, arranged it. And uh, we were on with Rockpile with Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe. They were the other yeah. band on that show that day. But wow. he was taping, he tapes a few in a row on a certain day, I guess, you know, like people do. And so when we walked into the studio, the ABC studio in Hollywood, there was um, KC and the Sunshine Band. Ah, nice. They were the second band on the show that they were taping before us, and then we went into there and all that. Yeah. But Mr. Uh, Dick Clark was great, you know. Couldn't have been more professional or nice. That's and right. uh, the, the they have not released the video of us playing on that show yet. But they did release, cause you play a song and then he does a little interview with you. Yeah. And then they play another song. Mm-hmm. So, but what they've been doing is releasing the interview parts. And so you can find our interview with Dick Clark on there. Okay. And you can find, you know, Blondie and Loverboy and, uh, I guess Honeymoon Suite and like all sorts of different bands. Mm-hmm. And this is their first big shot at something. Everybody is like a deer in the headlights. I mean, we are hicks from the sticks. <laughs> uh, first of all. And secondly, you know, we're just, oh, you yeah. can tell we're scared out of our minds. I've seen the, the footage. You guys actually look like you're having a great time, first of all, but you don't look nervous. Well. I can see how you could be. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's like, a you know, the duck in the, he's swimming pretty hard underneath there, you know. <laughs> and so uh, that was what I felt about. I mean, we had, we were, you know, a bar band from Toronto, you mm-hmm. know, and all of a sudden we were. American Bandstand, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was great, though. Oh, yeah. And we did a great job of it. I mean, that was the other thing about people say, well, you know, you're lip syncing, you know, so it's not not really accurate. And, you know, you go, well, it's great because you're never going to make a mistake. All you're doing, you could wave your hands in the air and, you know, when you're supposed to be playing guitar and it still sounds the same. Yeah. So there's no pressure for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we could all just jump around like idiots and, and, you know, have fun. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And that's a great piece is when you guys are all jumping in unison. Yeah. 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 Well, we did that a lot. Um, at one point we went into a ballet studio where they had a big mirror on the wall. Mm hmm. And we were all working on our little moves, like, you know, oh, really? synchronized yeah. together so that yeah. just at different points in different songs. And it's actually funny because right now I'm actually um, editing, I don't know if you remember a show that was called Heat Wave. Yeah. There was a, it was a, a, an all day festival at Mostport in Bowmanville, Ontario, outside of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy, a famous promoter from Toronto named John Brower who, he put the Toronto Pop Festival together back in the day and, and other big shows in Toronto. And he decided to do a new wave, quote unquote, new wave show at Mostport. And he had Talking Heads and Elvis Costello and the Pretenders and, you know, uh, other big bands. And the Clash were supposed to show, but they didn't show. Mm. So he, he liked us. And so he hired us to do this thing. And so, um, what happened there was that, they had a film crew and a, a, a mobile recording truck, and they went to all the bands and and uh, and told them, you know, we have a whole crew here, so we can 
film this and record it. Is that your phone, dude? Yeah. The goddamn. <laughs> That's all right. People uh, are so, wondering what this is. Yeah. So we could record it and film it. And all the bands, and, and we'll put it in a vault and we'll save it for later and we'll figure it all the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. And nobody said yes. Every, they all, the big bands, they all said no. Mm. And so the only bands that ever had any footage filmed that day was Teenage Head and us. Oh. And so it took some doing back in the late 80s, early 90s, where I dug up the film and the multi-track recorder mm-hmm. recording of this festival. And so... I made a couple little videos from what I thought was all the footage, but lately I've been, I went through all the reels. There's actually six songs from our thing. Okay. And we're just finishing that project up in the next few weeks. It's like a, uh, finding something you didn't know you had. Yeah. And it's really, really, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. That's you know? exciting. Yeah. And we're, you know, young and, good looking and stuff <laughs> not like today <laughs> you know well, that we were talking earlier about that the video for switching to glide and how you cut that together from 140 different sources right which is fantastic it's really cool for you know a fan to watch that because you've got clips from bandstand and you know it looks like you've got one f- from breakfast television on there but it's but, all the same song but you you cut it all together uh, from all these different sources, it looks really great. That's right, and and a couple of people. It's funny you point out breakfast television because that is in there. Oh, is it? Yeah, and there's one. People have commented that there's one from the old forum at Ontario Place. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the had a revolving stage that went around. People in a are so close. Yeah, yeah. So there's one. There's a couple shots from there. You know, all sorts. Everything you can imagine is on that. And it took like a, 140 hours to edit that, but people love it so much and. You know, the comments that we get, you know, are just are so gratifying to us. It make you feel good about the day that you're in at that time when you see that it's meant so much to people. Mm-hmm. Like the one guy in, um, he said, you know, I watch this every, you know, I'm away from home in the desert and I watch this thing every night before I go to bed. Wow. So I'm going, you know, well, what's that mean? And then you click on his picture and he's all dressed up in U.S. Army fatigues. So he's out in some desert in iraq somewhere and every night before he goes to bed he watches our video wow that kind of stops you in your tracks at least it did me when i saw that and i just thought wow you know and other people say i've been depressed lately watching your video makes me feel better and so it's 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 phenomenal to to see that and like like success is not measured in dollars and cents every time you know Mm. it 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 can be you know the emotional connection between the band and and the people that listen to the music and that's the purest form of all i think yep yep i agree and you know the song we were talking earlier also about the shelf life of it still popular today still very popular the milwaukee brewers use it in their uh, broadcasts in the stadium between plays and that kind of thing yeah yeah well it's been in a lot of those i mean a friend of mine heard it at yankee stadium Mm -hmm. um it's been in chicago bulls games you know, it's like between plays when they have to have something on in the rink or the the stadium. Yeah, I don't think we get any money for that, but it's 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 free advertising is how I look at it. You know, yeah. I mean, they're not going to complain about it. Yeah, you know, if they're playing at a Madison Square Garden in a Rangers game, how awesome is that? Mm-hmm. You know, or at Yankee Stadium, that's fantastic. That's a bonus to yeah. us. Yeah, and it just shows that you know, I mean, fortunately for us, we had a hit in the states. You know, a bona fide hit song 
in the mm-hmm. United States. And there's a lot of Canadian bands, I think, that can't claim that. Um, That's right. Even though they they might be have sold more records and done a lot more in Canada uh, than us and, you know, certainly probably made more money, but that's something that they can't say. And so we're pretty happy with that. And most of our comments that we get in the, you know, on the, the video or on Facebook and all that, most of it is from the U.S. You know, sometimes we get orders for merchandise, you know. So you get a T-shirt order from somewhere and you look at it, where it is on the map and you mm-hmm. go, how the heck did they ever find about us? Yeah. You know, like there's one we got a t-shirt order. And if you look at the, the map, you know how Lake Superior is shaped like a dog kind of yeah. like the, there's a part that sticks into the, the lake from the south, like a, the, the, like this part here <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Like in, in uh, Minnesota or wherever that is, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and way down this peninsula, there's a little tiny town and there's a guy there wearing a King's t-shirt. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, you just look at that and you go, well, maybe small in number, but they're, you know, they're mighty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> definitely. You know, it's interesting you touch on that in the States versus Canada. I was reading a little while ago about Street Heart. Around that time, which is the same time that the Kings were pretty big, Canadian bands could get as big as they could get. And Street Heart was one of those bands that did. And they, they said, we just couldn't penetrate the U.S., yeah, we had done all that we could do in Canada, but the U.S. market was not interested in us, and and the band fell apart. Well, I think that uh, you know Trooper would have the same story, mm-hmm. Harlequin, Harlequin. You know, there's there's a lot you could go down the list of uh, Kim Mitchell. Yeah, I would say management. I think had a lot to do with it, or being signed there as opposed to being signed here. You mm-hmm. know, when if you're signed here and the, the Canadian label goes to the American counterpart and says. What do you think of this? And they're going, oh, you know, we got our plate is already full. Yeah. You know, and so I think that is part of that maybe. But, um, but, but, you know, that being said, you know, bands like, you know, David Wilcox or Kim or yeah. Blue Rodeo or whatever, they make incredible livings or, or, or Trooper. We've played with them lots of times. Yeah. Um, they make great livings playing in Canada because since those days of, you know, of Streetheart. There's way more gigs now. There's way more people in Canada now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, all summer, there's festivals all over that those kinds of bands, you know, you know, we, we play a few of them too. But, I mean, you know, they, they do great business. And I mean, it was a shame when, you know, Kenny died from Street Heart. He was a great front man. I saw them, you know, numerous times back in the day. Yeah. And uh, I don't think they really had that many great original songs. But, you know, and they, they had a couple of covers that did well for them and that. But they were, they were a great band. A great front man, for sure. Great singer right to the end, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, I guess a couple of his guys went to Loverboy, right? The, yeah, they the, did. They the, left Streetheart. Uh, Matt Frenette, I think, was in that band. And, and the also, Spider, the bass player, I think. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. but Loverboy certainly hit it big all over the world. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, Bruce Allen, I would say, as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have got uh, a great collection of songs here. This is uh, representative of a number of genres, and some of these really uh, took me back. And I got to thank you for that for bringing some of these in, and, and I'll, we'll we'll talk about them as we hit them. But this is a this is a fantastic list. I can't wait to start talking about these. So let's kick it off with Nat King Cole and Stardust. You know, I, as a songwriter and a fan of music, uh, you know, I've studied a lot of this stuff. I've often sort of wondered in my head, okay. If somebody asked me, what's the best song ever written? What's, the, <laughs> you know, and 
My answer would be Stardust. Wow. Okay. There's other songs sort of like it in that time period and genre of the feel of it and that, but no, I'm Hoagie Carmichael wrote the music and I forget the guy's name who wrote the lyrics. I'm sorry, but it's just a magical sound to it. Yeah. And it's got what, like, there's a lot of those old songs that have an introduction and then they go to the body of the song. Yes. And that's one of them. Sometimes you hear it without the intro. It's like, uh, White Christmas. Yeah. Everybody knows Bing Crosby's version, but there's actually an intro to it mm-hmm. where he talks about being in Beverly Hills, LA, and it's, uh, there's no snow. And then he goes, I'm dreaming of white Christmas. And so a lot of those old songs have these intros that a lot of the time get cut off. But, yeah. but that version there, Nat sings the, uh, the one that I, uh, was listening to. He sings the intro. And of course, I mean, he's a fantastic singer. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and a player, piano player as well. And, you know, broke down a lot of barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but his version of that song is really great. You know? Yeah. And, and I, like I say, I think it's, you know, one of the best songs ever written. Yeah, this is uh, what goes back to nine, the twenties. I think this is written in late twenties. No, Stardust. is it that long? I would have thought so. it would be later than that, but yeah. I didn't look at the copyrights on. It. I mean, Hoagie was around; he was still alive. Yeah, you know, he's in some movies and stuff. But uh, I could be wrong about that. But no, I you know, uh, thought it was. I'll, I will look it up. Yeah, later, but yeah, just because so many people have covered this, Benny Goodman. I love the Willie Nelson version of this. Oh yeah, uh, that's my favorite. No, it, for the sure. The list is. You know, as long as you're armed. Well, Willie does everything. Willie's, I think, my favorite guitar player. Yeah, really? Yeah. 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 I mean, less is more. Yeah. And it shows his incredible musical knowledge, the stuff that he plays. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw him years ago at Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, and I was lucky enough to get him to sign my guitar. Mm. I have a guitar with a lot of autographs on it. Yeah. And... At that point in time, Grady Martin was playing with him. And Grady Martin was this guitar player. He would have been the, the, the equivalent of the Wrecking Crew guy out in, in Texas, I think. Okay. He play, he's a guitar player that plays the, the lick in Pretty Woman, Oh, Pretty Woman oh. by Roar. Da, 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 da. Yeah. That's Grady Martin. Cool. And he plays on El Paso and all these other incredible songs. And so he played with Willie and his band till he passed away. Okay. But he was one of these guys that brought in that jazz element of incredible guitar playing into the country realm mm-hmm. and, and brought that, that Texas swing thing going on so yeah. that it's not just a three chord kind of country song. There's all these other elements of, of jazz in there. And I think that Willie probably picked up a lot of that from Grady Martin. Yeah. And, uh, I love that, that extra aspect to the music when you have that knowledge that you can add it to mu- the simple country type music but when you put that extra stuff in there it just elevates it and Willie does that all the time have you heard him do The Scientist by Coldplay no fantastic yeah fantastic well he's also the singer I mean oh yeah you were always on my mind and, you know but you can just hear the yeah the, the, the pain in his voice well you know? yeah Willie's he's the man yeah no he is the man really <laughs> no he is <laughs> Uh, Springsteen's next, Sandy. This is a great pick from the Wild, the Innocent, the Eastery Shuffle. Well, it's my favorite, uh, Bruce Springsteen song. Yep. Um, back when Bruce was good. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> but you've, you know, you're, you've lost the way, I think. I know that they'll, they can write you, Brent, tell you the bad letters, but, uh, <laughs> we're going to get it, some rock thrown on us. What, what, what do you think the, the cutoff point for Bruce was based on? Well, I mean, I liked, I mean, Born to Run was a landmark. After mm-hmm. that, I guess the river was after that. And and then it started to just... And I saw him. We were lucky enough to see him at his first Toronto show. 
When was that? And that was in 1975, I think. Okay. We were just, just getting started. And so he was on the cover of these magazines and stuff. There was a huge buzz about him. And he played at the Seneca Fieldhouse up at Seneca College. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't a big production. This is like a, you know, a gymnasium in a, at a community college kind of thing. And, but it was packed uh, because the word was certainly spreading. And so it was, uh, one of the top, I've seen a lot of great concerts, but top five for sure. And if you, anybody is interested, they filmed a previous show on that tour, the same tour that we saw in Toronto six weeks earlier or so. He played at the Hammersmith Odeon in London. And so there's a DVD of that. They had a, like a 16 mil crew out and it's with the original E Street band. So Bruce doesn't play guitar that much. He does play guitar, but it's mostly Steve. And so it's, you know, Danny on organ and, um, Ray Bitten on, on the greatest piano player to ever play rock music yeah. in the E Street band. And, you know, and, and, and Gary and, and, and Max the drummer. So a very stripped down version compared to now because he's got like 10 guitar players up there now because, yeah. you know, his wife and Niels and Steve and, you know, yeah. and him. Yeah. So it's, it's just a wall of mush right now. But if you watch that, buy that DVD and it's just incredible. Really? It's just, that's, that is Bruce Springsteen. That's yeah. the guy. And the energy. Yeah. Well, and the set list itself yeah. is yeah. like, you know, a mile long. Yeah. I mean, back then his encores were, Equal to most people's oh, show. Yeah. The shows are like four or five hours long. Well, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, and, and he was singing at the top of his game and, um, and those songs have a, a, a Jersey magic to them, right? Cause he's really on the boardwalk there. Yeah. And that's what Sandy, the subtitled Fourth of July Asbury Park, it just captures that nostalgic feel, I think. Uh, uh, you know, I love that song. It's very moody. Yeah, it is for sure. Uh, the Beatles next. She loves you. Well, I think that she loves you, um, is the song that changed the world. Love Me Do was the first single. Not many people know, but the first radio station to play Love Me Do in North America was CFRB is that in right? Toronto. Yeah. Oh, okay. In, uh, late 62 or, or, six, or 63, I think. But, mm-hmm. but She Loves You was the, the song that broke them around the world yeah. and changed history. You know, because everybody, the mop tops and yeah, 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 and everything. But, you know, you're overlooking the, the great songwriting. It starts with the chorus, you know. Most, a lot of songs don't do that. You know, they mm-hmm. start with an intro and go into the verse and then into the chorus. But that one starts with the chorus. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It ends on that what, sixth note and all that. I mean, those yeah. guys were the greatest singers. Well, they're simply the greatest band of all time. Oh, yeah. You know, nothing can compare to the, you know, people talk about being famous now. Not like them. No. Beatlemania. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Drake doesn't have 4,000 people outside his hotel every night <laughs> or uh, any of these people, right? Yeah. I don't think. And all around the world, every day, every yeah. everywhere they went and their touring schedule, it was phenomenal. And if you look at like uh, into their history of the band, there's a uh, Mark Lewison has, wrote a, has written the first of three books about the Beatles. It's the definitive thing that's going to be ever written about them and the first one's called tune in i think and it takes them up to the end of 62 Mm -hmm. and it's like bill wyman's book about the stones which is better than keith's book i think you have to realize how many gigs these guys played they played every day yeah and sometimes more than once a day they played all night eight hours a day six seven you know 
drinking and doing bennies and you know yeah um, like working a shift at the camera club and that's how you get good and you know in a, in a not that it's the same thing but in a comparison kind of way when we started playing when we started this band dave our singer and max our drummer were already playing full-time in bar bands because you could do that back then mm-hmm. there was gigs for bands so that but then when we started the kings then we started doing that and we used to play like a place um called young station up at young and bloor there and we do six sets a night and then a three set matinee on saturday and then six sets that night yeah so you're doing 39 sets a week that's a grind well but that's how you get good i think and that's mm-hmm. how the beatles got good and you don't have that anymore for bands because there's no gigs like the go six nights a week or three night splits or whatever it might be and of course i think a lot of the people you know bands these days want to be famous they don't necessarily want to be good back in the distant past you used to have to be good at something to be famous that's right and nowadays you just have to be famous you have to put in your ten thousand hours well that's exactly right you know, yeah. malcolm gladwell and uh you know you start adding it up you go well, he's probably pretty right about that you know yeah. this probably is about ten thousand hours you know yeah. uh of grinding it out and and you know, and I remember we were playing, I was still living at home with my parents when we first started this thing. I remember we were playing at this bar in Oakville and we had to bring in a PA system, play six nights there. And I think we got $800 for the week. Yeah. So I think by the guys in the band made 150 each <laughs> and, and the PA guy got 200 for bringing it in and running it all week. Yeah. And I felt like I was on top of the world, man. Oh yeah. You know, 150 bucks a week. And playing music, what could be better than that? Yeah. It was phenomenal. I loved it. It's it's a magical time, I bet, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was long before we ever wrote Switching to Glide. We we, we started this band on the premise that we were going to be songwriters, and we always wanted to work on writing original music. Mm -hmm. That was the whole goal. And we didn't know if we'd be any good at it, but we were sure going to try. As a a band playing in clubs, the most that we ever did was 50-50 cover tunes yeah and so we always had our stuff in there and but we did any cover tune we did it the way that we would do it as opposed to note for note because we were never good enough i was never good enough to learn a guitar solo (laughs) note for note so we just did it our way and that way our songs sounded sort of in the same vein as the cover tunes yeah and so we could blend them in because i remember going to see bands that were good cover bands, and then you'd hear this clunker in the middle of their set in a bar in Toronto. <laughs> and they thought, that was an original tune. Well, yeah, I could tell that was the original tune because it's, it really wasn't very awesome. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. So when you played covers, did you play your own leads? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't learn. You know, I mean, we did some stuff by the Cars or yeah. Elvis Costello or... Yeah. I mean, Elliot Easton from the Cars is a fantastic guitar player. Yeah, he actually is. Yeah, you know, incre- very underrated uh, or unknown almost. But yeah. I was watching him last year there thing on the, on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they showed it. You know, the Cars did a few songs, and you know, he nailed it. He's a great guitar player. He's a clever player. He played a lot of fun little melodies in his solo. Yeah, he's very skilled. You know, yeah. it's, he's got that musical knowledge that it really shines through, and yeah. uh, you know, I admire him very much. Yeah, uh, Led Zeppelin is next whole lot of love as a kid you know growing up uh, driving around in the car on am radio out of chum in toronto Mm -hmm. before fm nobody's dad had a car with an fm radio in it okay you know it was unknown 
you know, I remember the you know first time I heard one because the sound was coming out of both speakers. And I was going, <laughs> "What is that?" It was uh, that's stereo. Wow. There was a few songs that came around, like "She Loves You" was a game changer no. for the history of music in the world. But I would say that "Whole Lot of Love" brought in the hard rock era on AM radio. Yeah, there was you know okay maybe Steppenwolf with "Born to Be Wild" or. And I used, to, you know, as a guitar player and little teenager, so I really wanted to hear when Whole Lot of Love came on, it just blew my mind because it was guitar and singing and craziness and all that, even though it was the edited three minute version. Yeah. And Mississippi Queen was another one that came on all the time back then when young idiots like me would just crank it because <laughs> the guitar was finally guitar music on the radio. Yeah. And so I think that was a game changer too as far as, you know, AM radio for young teenage guys getting into guitar, whole lot of love on the radio. It was fantastic. I think that the the difference, there's a little bit of heavy music coming out at that time. You think about bands like Sabbath and maybe Deep Purple yeah, um, and Steppenwolf. But the difference in my opinion as, as to why this was so alluring was probably that sex appeal that Led Zeppelin brought that black sabbath and the other bands didn't bring yeah and it's jimmy page you know yeah. just he's my favorite he's my man uh, jimmy page yeah you know i'm a les paul guy you know yeah. even though that was on a telly but uh it's so sad to me to see what's happened with poor lonely old jimmy page you know robert plant is out there playing all over the world half his set is led zeppelin tunes does he do that yeah like I a lot in did. there yeah. yeah you know different versions with the guys that he's got now yeah granted but is is your guitar player as good as Jimmy Page there, yeah. Robert? No. Is your bass player as good as John Paul Jones? No. Yeah. You know. And then you go, well, he's doing it. It's all acoustic and stuff like that. And you go, well, look at Led Zeppelin did a lot of acoustic music. Quite a lot. Every album had stuff that was acoustic and fantastic on it. Yeah, Led Zeppelin 3. You know, going to California and all this stuff. It's It's too bad. And I just think that Jimmy Page is like a... He's a boat without an ocean, you know. He's just <laughs> stranded. Yeah. And, he, you know, I think, you know, put a band together. Get a singer. Go play. I wonder why he does. And I wonder if, if all the stuff that he had done before kind of left a bad taste in his mouth with, you know, the firm and Coverdale page and that sort of thing. I don't know. You know, I mean, that was just stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and he did Page and Plant after that. They toured for a long time yeah, without I John thought. Paul Jones. But, and I saw them at the amphitheater at, yeah, Ontario place. Yeah, that sound wasn't that great. But I mean, you know, they did uh, No Quarter. I mm-hmm. remember that. You know, and that's a, another f- fantastic song. Yeah, I mean, they have so many. Yeah, and that's another thing about radio. You know, they play. You know, there's so many songs they don't play that are. Oh, you know, don't get especially from a band like Zeppelin, ten studio albums or whatever it is, and you never hear Four Sticks on the radio or yeah. Black uh, no, Country Woman. Yeah, No Quarter or you know. Uh, since I've been loving you, you know, I mean, that's, that's just such a fantastic blues song. It's, yeah. That drives me nuts because from Zeppelin themselves, you hear whole lot of love, black dog, rock and roll, stairway to heaven. And that's it. That's, that's too bad. Really? It is a shame. Cause that, they, that bench is deep for those yeah. guys. Same the with the Beatles. Though. Same with the Beatles, 200 songs. Yeah. They, they, you can go deep on them too. Oh yeah. And, and the Kings, by the way, anybody listening? <laughs> You go king. That was, we're, a, we're, that was a clever segue. Here. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty deep on the bench. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right. This next pick, 
really brought me back. I'd completely forgotten about this song, Glenn Campbell and Gentle on My Mind. This one in Rhinestone Cowboy for me when I was a kid. Like, I grew up and this is in the background, and I love this stuff. Well, yeah, I think, you know, Glenn was a uh, member of the Wrecking Crew. He played on Beach Boys albums in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, a super talented guitar player. Yeah, that's crazy, right? He plays lead. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and that particular one that I was looking at yesterday with... Yeah. Um, a great lead. Yeah, yeah. it's he's again that musical knowledge that 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 leads you to be able to play that kind of stuff. It's just mm-hmm. outside of the pentatonic realm, yeah. you know, fitting around the chords and all that. But that song written by John Hartford, uh, it's as good as any, you know, I think Dylan song or uh, you know Chris Christopherson or any of those ones that I could have picked. But, but it's kind of out of left field a little bit. But the lyrics in it are f- fabulous. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know, cupped hands around a tin can, you know, I'm, you know, the, or the my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch. Yeah. That imagery, you can just see it, you know, yeah. and that, that to me is, is, is good songwriting. And, and then when you combine it with the talent of Glenn Campbell, who's a great singer, and then with his playing to, to take a solo in the middle of it and burn it down. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's worth hearing. It's worth sharing with people. Yeah. You know, there's other songs that we could all pick, I guess. But I just was thinking about that one. I thought, well, that's good enough to be in my little list, you know. Oh, for sure. You know, and uh, Glenn Campbell, we saw him uh, on his last tour. It came through uh, after he'd been diagnosed. Uh, uh. He played at the bandstand, bandshell, or, or, you know, at, uh, at the C&E mm-hmm. uh, three or four or five years ago, I guess, uh, yeah. for his last go-round. And, yeah, he lost a, quite a few steps on the guitar, but it was still him. You know, and we love these people, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the thing about loyalty and uh, with, with artists like that, that, you, you you know, it's still you. We still love you. You're diminished, but that's okay, you know? Yeah, we respect that. Well yeah. said. Well said. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, this next guy is, I think he, he was a rock star before there was rock. Frank Sinatra. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, growing up when I did, you know, I was a music fan and a lot of the, these great concerts came through Toronto. We, you know, we're, we're from Oakville. Mm-hmm. And so lucky enough to see a lot of great artists, a lot of great rock shows and different things and all this. Like, you know, Jimi Hendrix or, you know, the list goes on. But the greatest single thing that I ever saw in my life, and I'm sure Dave, because we all went, um, was Frank Sinatra. At Maple Leaf Gardens in probably ninety early nineties. Okay, and I think he was seventy five years old. You know, I knew that I knew he was coming, so I bought a. We were in the third row, mm-hmm. and he set up set it up like a like a square like boxing ring in the middle of the center ice. Yep. And so the orchestra was fanned out behind him to the boards on that one side of the thing, and then people were on the other side. So we're in the third row, just looking up at him. Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet opened the show. Oh wow. Yeah, and you know they were good, but I thought you know the vocals. This is what I remember about it was the vocals weren't that you know, and I was going, God, I hope that Frank is <laughs> louder than that. Yeah, because you know we came here to see him, and so during the break, I went to the soundboard and I said, you know, I'm sitting in the third row, and you know, Edie and Steve, the the vocals were pretty good, but they weren't really like that loud over the band. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm worried about Frank. He said, Don't worry about Frank. I said, okay. And so Frank came out and of course it was blasting perfect. Nice. Even, even though we were so close to the orchestra, we were sitting right beside the orchestra. You could hear the guys turning the pages of their sheet music in their music stands. Yeah. That's how close we were. And then Frank's just up there and it was, and he did this set and, and of course 
Another thing I remember, like at the gardens that night, the bouncers all wore sweaters and ties. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, t-shirts with, you know, feels secure or whatever. That's interesting. Like the bouncers were, they told them to dress up. Wow. Right. And so the whole thing had class. Yeah. And then he did this long set. I remember just pinching myself going, this is unbelievable. Yeah. That, you know, remember this because you will never see the like of this again. I mean, he did all the songs, you know, he did the soliloquy from, you know, the music man or whatever it is. And, uh, my boy Bill and all this, you know, it's just, and you go, you know, here's a guy who's nailing it at 75 years old. Yeah. As far as, you know, top of his game, as far as I was concerned, I didn't think he lost a step. And every once in a while, and, and the other thing about Frank playing live was that before every song, and I mean every song, he told you who wrote it and who did the arrangement of it. Oh, wow. Before every song. He'd say, okay, here's a, you know, Johnny Mercer song, uh, arrangement by Don Costa or, uh, you know, any of the famous Nelson Riddle or who are the famous arrangers that he had. Mm-hmm. But before every song, he gave credit to who wrote it and who arranged it for him. And then he'd say, okay, I'm just going to take a little break. I have to talk to Mr. Chivas and Mr. Regal right here for a minute. <laughs> so he wasn't drinking Jack because I always thought he drank Jack, but that night he was he he blamed it on Mr. Chivas and Mr. Regal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it was just the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. And I'm sure that Dave and our, all our friends, that we my mom was there. My mom had seen him in Montreal with the Dorsey brothers back yep. in the day, you know, but she really enjoyed that show too. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he was one in a million. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he's the man. You know, the, the song that you had listed is one for my baby. Yeah, and again, Johnny Mercer and uh, the ultimate torch song by the yeah. ultimate torch singer. I guess. Yeah. Right, because it's a sad, but it's beautiful. Right. It's yeah. it's so intimate. Yeah, and to watch him play that, you know, do it live. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, you can see the clip on YouTube. Is uh, he's doing it in London? I think. Yeah. Well, just, he so he, he did it when we there. saw him. I mean, you you know, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And the pages turn on the sheet music, you know, as they go through the arrangement, you know. And he's a master of phrasing and tonality and just, yeah. that's one of the things about singing, you know. There's the aspects to it. Not only was he a great singer, but he had a, the greatest voice, mm-hmm. the tone. I mean, Tony Bennett is a great singer, but he doesn't have the tone of, of Frank Sinatra. And I think he probably admit that yeah but frank he had it all you know he's got that great mention in 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 spinal tap to the movie right where they say uh as long as frank says it's okay you know there's some great you know he's everywhere (laughs) yeah all right we've got one more here well this is yeah well this is davy diamond dave lead singer of the kings dave diamond i told him that we were going to be doing this and he says well what about rapture by by Blondie. Yeah. And I said, well, sure, if you want, you know, I'll throw it in there. Yeah. And I guess it's the first song that reached number one that actually had a rap in it. That's right. Um, that, that hit the number one on the Billboard chart. Yeah. Um, and this came out the same year as, as Switching to Glide, I think, 80, right? Did it? Yeah. 1980. Yeah. Well, it was a year or two after that, 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 that De- De- Deborah, Deborah Harry was, Debbie was in, was in Toronto filming Videodrome for David mm-hmm. Cronenberg. Mm hmm. And somehow or other, we got her number, and we actually hung out with her a few days. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and she was, <laughs> yeah, she came over to our, Dave and I were living together, young in St. Clair, and she came over to our apartment and that, and, you know. No way. Yeah. And it was wow. like, you know, so phenomenally beautiful. Yeah. 
I mean, hot as hot can be, really. And uh, and we actually went to the music hall on Danforth okay. with Debbie to see Iggy Pop. No. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so that was really fun, too. That's great. Yeah. It was a wow. good, it was a fun night. And uh, and so I think that's why Dave put that in there, so I, I could talk about the fact that we were hanging around <laughs> with her a little bit, but... You know, we don't have any brushes with greatness, but uh, that was a, that was a good one, you know. And she was very nice as well. But you know, there's this one point in the show. I think Carlos Alomar was playing guitar for Iggy at that point, and yeah. he had a like a 412 Marshall with a 100 watt head, you know. And Iggy would go and he'd stick his head right beside the speaker, yeah, as he was doing a guitar solo at I don't know how many dB. It just I was just going, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. What are you doing? You know, and then, and then at one point, I remember he was, we were, we were on the side of the stage and looking, you know, from the side of the stage. And so then Iggy was writhing around on the floor, you know, like in a, in a some kind of ecstasy fit or something. Yeah. Not the drug ecstasy, but just the musical ecstasy. But, uh, and I remember Debbie, Debbie was beside us and she's going, Iggy, get up, get up, Iggy. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so that was uh that was a really fun night. You know, one of those things you remember, right? Because no kidding. Yeah, cuz it's you just go, wow, that's hilarious. Who wow. who did that today, you know? Well, we did it today, you know. No kidding. So, Watching side stage with Debbie Harry. Yeah, watching Iggy blow his brains out, you know. So Wow. No, that was a lot of fun. That is so great. And so Rapture, you know, it's a bit of a game changer there too, I oh, guess. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know. For sure. It was uh, the first rap, well, the first song to include rap, I think, that went number one, right? Yeah. And she actually gives a nod to Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Furious Five. Well, she knew all about that stuff. Yeah. They would have known all about that. Yeah. And uh, I guess Chili Peppers had that one, too, you know, was sort of, you know, give it away, give it away, you know. That that, that song has some rapping going on in there, too. But, I mean, this is rock music bringing that in instead of the pure, you know, rap and and hip-hop and that. Yeah. This is kind of like a mix of funk and disco, and that's yeah. why it was so unusual. Yeah. It's that rap sequence at the end. Yeah. It was kind of unheard of up until that point, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fun little thing to throw in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had that record. It was Auto-American. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. had a lot of hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Titus High, Heart of Glass. Yeah. Call Me, Loads. You know, great career, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming in today, man. Well, thanks for having me, Brent. I appreciate, appreciate it. it very much. Yeah, this is a fun chat. Yeah. Yeah, get well, together uh, some more songs and come back. I'd love to. I mean, day with you next time. You know, uh, yeah, uh, it's just a schedule, you know, because when it changed, it, I thought maybe he could come in today. So I phoned him uh, just as I was driving, and I said, you know, he was at Walmart getting dirt for the garden or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, Anyway, so yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, I love uh, talking about music and, and, and not ourselves so much, you know. Yeah. Or what it means to us, I think, or for me particularly, uh, loving music so much and, and hit songs. I mean, all those songs are hits. Yeah. There's something magical about a hit song to me that it could be, the, the, the depth of it can be so different. Sounds of Silence by, you know, Simon and Garfunkel to, yeah. you know, Switching to Glide, you know. <laughs> and that's another thing that I looked up one day was, you know, we hit, uh, I think, 43 or something on the Billboard Hot 100. It was on the chart for almost half a year. Mm-hmm. But it was breaking at different points. I was reading Neil Diamond's autobiography one day. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about his song, Solitary Man, 
which is a great song. Yep. I mean, Neil Diamond is great. And it said, you know, that was his first single that charted and it reached, you know, I forget, 65 or something on yep. the Hot 100. Yep. And I was going, we charted higher than Neil Diamond. Yeah. You know, the Solitary Man. And then I started looking into it more and I actually put a thing on our Facebook page one day. I dug in a lot because you can, you know, anything on the internet, but there's all these songs that, that you all know that are super famous songs that never charted higher than 45 oh, or yeah. 50 or something. Yeah. You know, you think that had to be a number one song. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no. it wasn't, you know, but it has longevity. And so that's the beauty of it because, you know, it may not have hit at the time. But it kept going and going and going yeah. and going, you know? Yeah, and had a good, strong shelf life in the charts. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and our new song <laughs> <laughs> is another segue, and I hope I hope people like it, too. Well, check it out. Hey, we, where is it? To, it's on Spotify, obviously. Yeah. iTunes. Yeah. I, I can send you the uh, SoundCloud link. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so get out there and look for that. The Kings, you know, have a listen to Switch and the Glide at the same time. Yeah. We love it. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks, Brent. It was my pleasure. All right. This has been No Slip Till Subbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Zero from the Kings. Take good care, folks. Until next time. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Slip Till Subbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. 